Good morning, uh, Journey Church. Good to see everybody here today. And I want to thank Gracie. Uh, Gracie has such a beautiful heart. We love her to death. Um, I want to thank uh, her for her, her effort. And I might mention if you are struggling with some hurt habit or hang up uh, that you would love to have support, encouragement to deal with, uh, it would be a great place for you to show up and you'd be very welcome there. We are in a, a study for a few weeks now uh, through the book of Colossians, and it's been a great study, a lot of, a lot of things in here about Jesus. You know, I, I noticed that the name that evokes more interest and more excitement in this place than any is Jesus. So we're going to talk a lot about that today and uh, how important he is and what, how we ought to be living and continuing in him as believers. And uh, so that's kind of where we're going today, and I think uh, hopefully it'll be challenging to you. You know, a couple years ago in summer, I had the bright idea that I was going to take all of our girls and uh, their husbands, uh, I guess the fiancés at the, at the time maybe, we were going to go and, on kayaking trip on Elkhorn Creek. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, kayak. I'm not a water guy at all. But I thought, you know, that sounds like fun. It sounds like it'd be something we could all do together. It'd be kind of neat there. And they were all in for it. So, um, so we set up this trip. Actually, they were kayaking. Lori and I were in a canoe because we assumed that would be safer in a canoe. So it was a beautiful day, and uh, we arrived there. We did the required training, you know, all that stuff you have to do to get set up. And, uh, and we got our life jackets and everything. And we, uh, we had a lot of junk with it. I had more stuff. I didn't, had never been. So I had fishing poles and lots of water and lunch and snacks and junk like that. And uh, so we got in the canoe, and it's been a long time since I was in a canoe, but we get in, and we get ourselves settled, you know, kind of figure out the balance thing and everything. And uh, for the first two minutes, things went really good. Uh, we just kind of glided across the water. It was really cool, and uh, it was a beautiful day. And we noticed that on our side of the creek that there was a tree that was down that was diverting all the traffic and all the canoes and kayaks to the other side, and so that looked like that. You know, we had plenty of room to do that, we thought. So anyway, so we started heading across, but we didn't accurately figure how long it would take to get across and get lined up with this uh, quick water. So you probably know what happened. Uh, let's just say we didn't line up well at all. We got sideways in the current, and we, and we overturned uh, right in the water there, and it dumped both of us and all of our gear, everything in the water. And again, I'm not a water person at all. Uh, I do take a shower regularly, but that's about as much water as I want around me. But I found myself sitting in water uh, with it run, you know, facing upstream with that current in my face, feeling like I was being waterboarded. I've never been through that, but that's what it felt like. And I thought I was going to drown, I mean, right there. And Lori uh, was facing me with her back to the current, and she was being pushed into me. So we were both just basically helpless sitting there in the creek, you know. And we were being shoved down the creek, feeling like we were drowning, both of us, and neither of us could really do anything. And we heard our kids shouting. They were yelling at us. They were in canoes close. But, but you know, it sounded like they were saying, get up, or something like that. But it was just, to be honest, it was a blur. And for several hours, we sat there in the water. No, it was like seconds, I'm sure. <laughs> Finally, my son-in-law, who has been a fireman, paramedic, nurse, and everything else on a on a helicopter, he came over and he helped us stand up in the knee-deep water. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was getting it. It was knee-deep, you know. That's real funny now. You know, back then it wasn't funny at all. And to be honest with you, you haven't heard about this. It was two years ago. 
And I think that Lori and I, after a lot of uh, counseling, we're finally past the point. <laughs> I am anyway. I still shiver a little bit to tell you about it there. Now, we finished the trip that day, but all the fun was gone. <laughs> it was gone. And, and Lori was like, we're going we're gonna to paddle out of here and we're done. I'm like, no, we're going down. We're going to finish this trip. And we did, but it wasn't fun for either one of us. And we promised and reassured ourselves again last night we would never, ever do that again. Any rate, it's still, I'm traumatized over that. But, the, but it, what, what got us was the current. You know, it wasn't the deep water. It was the current. And that's what, that's what destroyed us. And, you know, I, I want to share that not just because it's funny and it's embarrassing, but, but it's true spiritually as well. Amen. It's true spiritually. That we're living in a time where there are deep water, really deep water, but what really gets us are the dark currents that can pull us off course and even drown us if we let our guard down. And they look very harmless. I mean, when you, when you look at water, it's beautiful, right? Um, it looks harmless, and other people seem to be navigating them pretty well, but if you're not very careful, you can be pulled away from Christ in the strong current of our world. That's what I really want you to know today. And so that's why I appreciate Paul in Colossians. He really gives us something strong and something firm and stable to hold on to, to keep us steady and give, keep us balanced in these turbulent times that we live in today. And what I want to talk about is Jesus as an anchor in our world, one that we can attach ourselves to, someone that we can connect with that will help keep us upright, above water, alive, surviving, all the way to the end of the journey. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. And the first thing that we're going to see is the importance of receiving Christ, to receive Christ. And that's exactly what Paul says. Paul says, so then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So where do we start? Paul says the first thing that we have to do is that we have to receive Christ as Lord of our lives. And for some people, that would sound a little bit strange because we talk about accepting Christ and believing in Christ, but Paul uses the word receiving Christ, and, and really he's talking about the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us. He offers himself to us, and we have to receive him. We have to accept the gift. You know, we've talked about how ridiculous it would be to have a gift somewhere that Someone was trying to give you, and you just never, never tuck it. You never open the gift. You never receive it, never benefit from it. And that's what Paul says we have to do. We have to receive the gift that we have from them. And then he says we have to continue to live our lives in him, live our lives in him. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Christian walk and, and what that means. And we said that it basically composes three things, our conduct, our conversation, and our character that those three things kind of make up the walk that we live. You know, we hear people say you got to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, right? Well, that's the Christian walk that, that we're looking at, how we live our lives, uh, our conversation, our character, who we are on the inside. And uh, the, we believe here at Journey Church that our role and our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, which really is a process of not just being a believer in Christ, but mo going somewhere, moving ahead. And maybe you're here today and you've taken the, the awesome first step to accept Christ and receive him, but maybe you're not going anywhere in that walk. Because I think a lot of people experience that uh, in their Christian life. They, they accept Christ, but then they wonder, what happens next? 
And what happens next are next steps that we're to take to, to move ahead. And we'll talk about some of those here in just a few moments. But, but maybe you're here and you've never taken the next step in your walk with Christ. And let me just throw a couple things out that maybe you need to start thinking about. One of them is to deepen your life by, get, by reading the Bible. There, there's nothing in your Christian life that's going to help you more than just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible on a daily basis. Uh, spending some time in prayer every day. Making it a prayer list. Not just for other people and those who are sick, but for yourself and, and your family and protection and growth and spiritual maturity. Uh, joining a group. Some of our groups are kind of off a little bit for the summer, but, but in August we'll be jumping right back into those groups. And we're going to give you opportunity to be a part of those groups based on some of our studies, current studies at the time. So I want you to start thinking and praying about that and creating some margin in your life for that. How about in the area of serving? A lot of times we offer opportunity, and maybe you've never served, you've never volunteered in any role in the church. Or maybe it's a financial one where that you know it's time, God's calling you to say, you know what, we need to start recognizing God's provision in our life and start giving to him. You know, maybe you've never given anything to the church, to the Lord's work. Or maybe for some, it's stepping up to lead, to say, you know, I've followed long enough, and now it's time to be a leader and to help lead other people. But basically, Paul says, I want you to continue to live your life in him. And then he goes into more detail what it means to continue. He gives us two analogies. The first one is to be rooted in Christ, to be rooted in Christ. If you're a gardener, you know how important the root system is to a plant or a tree. I mean, that is crucial that there's almost as much underground as there is above ground in order to support the tree and provide uh, food in order for it to be able to produce something. And also what gives it stability is the root. You know, a tree can appear to be strong and, and, st and healthy on the outside, but the roots are what determines its real strength. And maybe you've you know, after a storm, you've seen a tree blow down. You thought, I, I thought nothing would blow that tree down. But then you realize that the root system is broken or it was weak or rotted, and that's what caused it to fall. And I'm kind of fascinated. I'm going to one of these days go out and see the giant redwoods out on the West Coast. But I'm told that as they grow together, their roots actually intertwine with one another and literally fuse together to give them greater strength. And, and I thought, how in the church that we need that from one another? We feed off others and we intertwine with other believers and we get to know them. How important it is to have that community so that we can fuse together in Christ and help stand together and be rooted in Christ. And we get our rootedness through obviously the word of God, the truth, by digging down deep and often and being connected with other believers. And then the second analogy gives about continuing Christ is being built up is being built. I, I, I'm telling you a lot of times, but I love building. And so this analogy kind of resonates with me. Pouring a firm foundation, then beginning to build up and adding to that foundation until the building rises up and is complete one day uh, with everything, you know, fully fin finished in it. You know, Jesus talked about that a lot too. He talked about building a house and he said that what we, that all of us are building today and what's important is what we're building on. He talked about the firm foundation of building on Christ, who is the rock, and ver contrasted that with building on shifting sand, things that move all the time. And you know, all of us are building something. We're, we're all building a family, or we're building a business, or building a career, we're building a life, whatever it may be. And the question I have for you is, what are you building that upon? Because we've all seen people build things that didn't last. 
Build a life that didn't last because the foundation wasn't strong. Or build a family that wasn't connected and, and based on the Word of God. Or, or build a business that was unethical and, and that didn't last. But the things that truly last are the things that are built upon the rock because we continue in Christ once we have received Christ. Here at Journey Church, we picture this as a spiritual journey, like I said a few moments ago, that, uh, that you begin and then you grow in. In fact, we have four key words that we, we use a lot as we think about where we are, and uh, they are the words begin, believe, belong, become. And I think those words are, are very uh, uh, kind of deep in some ways because uh, they kind of tell us where we are in our relationship with the Lord. You know, maybe you're here today and you're just beginning your walk with Him. You know, you're kind of curious. You've had a, something inside of you that's kind of moved you to show up this morning, and you just want to know more about what the church is about or what Jesus is about. And that's where we began. But then we always want people to move beyond the beginning. And the second step is to believe. That's when you cross the line of faith and you receive Christ. You give your life to Him. You accept Him as Lord and Savior. And then the next step is belonging, because we all need to not only belong to Christ, but belong to one another. We believe it's so essential that we connect with other believers and, and that we form a, are a part of a community, and so belonging is important. And then the fourth step is becoming, and that's something that's infinite, uh, because we're always becoming and growing more and more like Christ. But, but those four words are important, begin, believe, belong, become, because those, that's kind of the path along the journey, and, and we'll talk more about that later on this fall. But Paul says that we ought to be on a journey, and we ought to be not only receiving Christ, but also strengthened in the faith, that we should grow stronger in our faith the older we become. And that doesn't always happen. There are a lot of times that, that older people, they kind of get tired and they give up. Or even younger you know, people who have been Christians for a while, other things become flashier or distract us. People get into our life, or trends come along, or fads, or some other distraction. And you know, instead of being firmly rooted and built up in the Word, we become very vulnerable to all these other things that the fad, the next big thing that happens in life. But Paul says, when you receive Christ, you've begun something that's worthy of continuing your entire life in, something that's worthy of giving your entire life to, and that will not only occupy you and complete you in this world, but also lead you into eternity if you remain faithful. And as a church, we think those things are so important that we have that kind, of, uh, that kind of journey and that kind of mentality in our life. Three of the values, our three values that we think are essential are belonging, growing, and sharing. And those kind of explain also the goals that we have for each person. That we belong, that we grow in Christ, and we learn how to share the word with other people. So Paul talks about receiving Christ and continuing him. And then secondly, depending only on Jesus. And in verse 8 through 10, let's read that. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity <clears throat> lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So here he says, be careful not to let anyone or anything take you captive. Remember we talked about how then in Christ we've been set free from the slavery that sin has over us, that we are now free uh, to be what God has called us to be. But then he warns about the fact that even in our freedom that Satan could try to steal that freedom back. 
And these are the dark currents that I was mentioning to you before. It's all around us. You know, the world's just tugging at us and pulling us, trying to gain our attention, our affection, our loyalty, trying to pull us, suck us back into that, away from safety, into danger. And Paul explains how that happens. And I don't think we always understand the, the way that the world has a tug on our life. But he calls it uh, through empty and deceptive lies and philosophies. Philosophies, that's an interesting word. In fact, uh, it's a word that most of us try to avoid most of the time. But Paul brought it up, so we'll talk about what a philosophy is. A philosophy really is a worldview. It's, it's a mindset. It's a way of thinking about some things. And Paul says that the world's philosophies can take us captive. And they can put us into bondage and pull us away from Christ. He says these traditions um, or these philosophies depend on human traditions or dark spiritual forces of this world rather than that of Christ. And he really is kind of talking about a spiritual warfare here where that we're trying to live in the light and we have this darkness around the edges, the fringes that is trying to grab us and pull us. It's almost like a horror movie in some ways that, that, that we're vulnerable to that, especially if we, if we forget who our, our priorities in life. And the fact that this spiritual battle is around us all the time, and that we can be seized and pulled away by these philosophies he's talking about. Now, every generation has a philosophy. It really does. Uh, if you think back over time, you'll see that different generations looked at things differently, and they had a different approach that kind of defined who they are. And our, our generation has that as well. In fact, uh, a study was done recently that interviewed thousands of people who were not in church, who were de-churched, people who had kind of moved away from the church, basically folks who, who would not deny Jesus, but did kind of deny the church. And, and I thought this was fascinating because in this study, they, they began to find one common thread that w people began to throw out time after time to explain their current philosophy. And, and here's what it was. This was news to me, but, but it kind of makes sense. The common thread was the idea of intolerance, of intolerance. This is our generation, how, they, how people think. The people today are leaving the church or not attracted to the church because they believe the church is intolerant of people who are living certain lifestyles. And it's kind of surprising, or they seem shocked to discover that Christians who claim to believe the Bible is truth actually believe what the Bible has to say. But again, doesn't have to make sense. This is um, a philosophy that our world is, is struggling with today. Many people believe that faith should never influence the rest of one's life, that it has to be kept separate. separate. That faith should be a personal thing that doesn't influence their decisions. And we're seeing this a lot if you think about it. I mean, uh, we see politicians who claim to be strong believers and in, in, in their church and in Christ, but but take stands completely opposite what the church, what the Bible teaches, even what their church teaches. I don't know if you keep up with the news a lot, but, but the Catholic Church is withholding communion uh, to some politicians because of the decisions that they're making, the, the laws that they're proposing. But this is true not just uh, in that particular area was abortion, but it's not just an abortion, but also about gender, about marriage, about a lot of things. Um, there's just an idea that we don't like it that, that the church is not tolerant of more. And, and again, this is the philosophy that we have. Some people want to revise truth and revise the character of God, remove all judgment, morals, values, and truth, only see God as love. 
Now, it would be nice if we could only see God as love, to be honest with you, because then we could do whatever we wanted to do, and we'd know God would love us and overlook it as well. That God just loves everything, and God's tolerant of everything. But the problem is that is not the character of God. It's not the character of God. But I think our culture, the problem is that we have, we have changed the meaning of tolerance. Because tolerance used to, be, used to be, I will put up with you, I will forbear you. You know, I will tolerate you no matter what. You can do what you want. I love you, and I'm going to put up with that, and I'm just going to forbear it. But in our culture today, tolerance means I must celebrate you, and I must affirm you. And, and if I don't affirm you and celebrate you and your actions, then I am intolerant, and I'm wrong, and you will not tolerate me. In fact, you will be forced to celebrate me and my actions no matter what. Now, we know that to be true, right? That is our current philosophy in our world. An example of that is Jack Phillips, who was the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. He's been sued three times. He's still in legal uh, battles over that. And he owns a cake shop, and he says, you know, I'll sell cakes to anybody, but I will not make a cake, I will not design one specifically celebrating a gender transition or a same-sex marriage. See, what Phillips holds to be his faith convictions is seen by other people as intolerance. And that kind of unreasonable intolerance is a human philosophy that is deceptive and pulling our culture away from God. Now what is interesting is I read an article this week, a couple of them actually, that said that the younger generation is not buying that. That's their own generation and they'll have a different philosophy, but that's not their philosophy is the problem with intolerance. You know, we have to kind of clarify what tolerance is. In one respect, God is tolerant. In fact, God tolerates us a lot more than I probably would if I were him, you know. He welcomes everyone to come no matter what we've done or who we are or what we believe. He says, come to you. I love when I was younger, the song was, was probably most of us gave our lives to Christ on was just as I am. Just as I am, that's a great way of thinking about it. But you know what? God loves us too much to let us stay just as we are. God calls us to come to him uh, as we are, but then to conform to the image of his son. That's the change. That's the requirement. If we truly understand God's love, we realize that it doesn't just tolerate us. It changes us. It transforms us. Now, now why is tolerance a human philosophy that Paul talks about? Because tolerance is the opposite of repentance, and repentance is key to our faith. Tolerance is opposite of that. Tolerance tells you that nothing in you needs to change, that you are fine just as you are. But the gospel tells us that you are a sinner, you need to repent and conform to the likeness of Christ. So yes, God does love us as we are and calls us to come to him as we remain in Christ to open to his correction and his transformation in our life. Repentance says, God, you are right and I am wrong. You are holy and I am unholy. And I'm going to conform to your standards, not require that you conform to mine. So God's idea of tolerance is not, I celebrate everything and everyone. It is, I welcome everyone. Come and meet Jesus, experience his love, but also his truth. Repent and be transformed. I think we got to get that figured out in our head because this is a philosophy that's prevalent in our world today. You know, I mentioned before that the, the pressures our world puts on us today to adapt 
to its philosophies, tolerance and acceptance. It's really difficult in our social media world today because when we try to express ourselves, a lot of us feel like the greatest success is to be liked. Put out a Facebook toast and you're waiting. We're all fishing, wondering how many people are going to like what we have to say, right? I mean, that's the goal of it. And you're disappointed if you don't get very many likes. And you're elated if you, everybody likes what you have to say. Well, if your goal in life is to be liked, you're going to have a hard time resisting these currents that may want to draw you away from Christ. Because today in our world, people want to celebrate the things they should repent of, and we tend to compromise the things that we ought to stand for. Thirdly, Paul says we need to identify with Christ in a very specific way. You know, how quickly we can forget the important things in our life that we need to identify with this. There's a danger of forgetting how lost we were and how Jesus saved us. And so because of that, we need something to remind us regularly about whose we are. In Colossians verse 11, one, uh, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised in Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, obviously, in the Old Testament, circumcision for the Jews was a symbol and a sign of the covenant that God invited them into. It was an act of obedience that in the New Testament was replaced by baptism for the Christian. And so in baptism, here is the sign now that we experience and share in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The Bible says that we have, been, we have died with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ. And it's such a beautiful picture. It's a reminder to us of who we are when we're baptized as we, are, as we identify with Christ. And, and I think it's so important that you remember your baptism, that you remember that, that it is an anchor point in your life that you can refer back to. You know, I remember when I was baptized, it was a hot June evening in the early 70s in a farm pond. I think over 45 years ago. It's a long time ago, but I was a very young kid when it happened. Um, but I remember that so well. I was in a two-week revival, I believe, that my sister and I gave our lives to Christ, and we came forward, and we were baptized the next night. And in a farm pond, uh, we had a cross that we lit candles on and floated out into the water. It was a beautiful setting. But I remember that all through my life, and I want to encourage you to have that point in your life, to go back, maybe discuss it with your, your parents, your mom, uh, and, or your dad, if possible, and say, uh, let's talk about that, to kind of refresh your memory. You know, I talk to people sometimes that say, you know, I, I think I was baptized. People told me I was baptized, or maybe baptized as an infant, uh, sprinkled as an infant. I want to encourage you that baptism is one of those points that you have to personally choose, and you identify with Christ in that time that you were died to self, you were buried with Christ, and you were raised to Christ again, in Christ again, and to live a new life. That's so important. And then fourthly, Paul says in the scripture, I want you to rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in Christ. Paul wraps up this section with a victory shout. In verse 13, he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us and has taken away, nailing it to the cross. 
And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I mean, this is the most amazing thing we could imagine, that, that one time we were dead in our sins. We were held captive and slaves, but God has made us alive with Christ. In Christ, when we received him, we have been forgiven of all of our sins. All of the indebtedness Paul talks about here is canceling our lives. Everything that stood us against us has been uh, paid for. Everything that condemned us has been removed when Jesus was nailed to the cross. You know, Paul uses these legal terms here to describe the the fact that we were indebted to sin. And and to God, basically, we owed a debt we could not pay. A list of charges here that Jesus alone could pay for on the cross. That we were accused, we were guilty, we were sentenced to die. But then Jesus stepped in and said, I got this one. And he paid the debt for us, and now we're free. And we're not just free to do whatever we want, but we're free to serve him. And to acknowledge that, and we need to embrace that kind of victory. And so here in this picture, we see Jesus not as, a, not as a victim. We see Jesus as a warrior king. I mean, a beautiful picture here. We see an epic battle that defines the, entire, the story of the entire world. I mean, everything is, is kind of brought together, the picture, good versus evil. The storyline of the Bible is that God created everything good. Remember, everything he made, he said, it is good. It was all good. And then what happened? The evil one... Lucifer, Satan, a rebellious angel, tried to overthrow his creator, and he came down to destroy everything that was good. And he tried to do that through God's prized creations, which would be mankind, Adam and Eve. And it was a cosmic battle as Satan came and approached them and tempted them to do the one thing God told them not to do. And they fell for it. And it looked like Satan had won. But then God stepped in, and God provided redemption for them. We read about that in in, uh, Genesis chapter 3. And Adam and Eve are restored, not perfect, broken, but restored a second chance. No hope for Satan, but God gave mankind a second chance. And that came through the second Adam, the Bible says, who is Jesus. So when Jesus comes down and he lives his life, Satan attacks again. He attacks Jesus through the religious leaders of all people. The philosophy of that day, the, the, the dark currents that, that sought to destroy what Jesus was doing. And ultimately, Jesus is put to death, to death. And you say, okay, Satan thinks he has finally won. He has killed the son. But then Jesus turns it around and uses death instead of being the end. It's the beginning. As he comes to life again, he is restored. And once again, God wins, Satan loses. And victory is declared, and there's a public spectacle of that. That's, what, that's how Paul says it there. That Jesus has overcome all of his enemies, and now he is king of all and lord of all, and he takes a victory lap. Now, what does that mean? Well, it has the analogy of when a king went to battle, and they won everything, they didn't just come home quietly. They had a parade, and they would march through the streets. I mean, every, all the, the military led by the king would march through the streets, all the soldiers, everybody. And at the end of the procession would be all the, everything they had gotten, all the booty or whatever you want to call it. They, they would bring in all the, the gold and haul it in for the people. And all the slaves, everybody taken captive, they'd have to follow in line. 
And that's what it's talking about, that Jesus is taking this victory lap here. And here's the great thing, that we're part of what was won, and we get to join the celebration, but not as captives. Instead, we get to be adopted family. We are no longer slaves, but instead we are sons and daughters. And we are victorious. And that's why we have to recognize who we are and not allow ourselves to be sucked back in to these human traditions or philosophies or thoughts. We have to retain in our mind and our hearts who we are and whose we are. And you may be sitting there going, well, that sounds all great and good, but I'm telling you, Satan, he's sitting some licks in on me right now. I mean, he's still got some bite in him, right? And let me explain to you why. Because Satan, the great serpent, has been defeated. He has been defeated. But in our lives, he still has some power, doesn't he? And I read this, and I didn't realize this, uh, but did you know that a snake can still bite even after it's been crushed and beheaded? I did not know that. I don't like snakes at all, to be honest with you. But, but I've read several stories about rattlesnakes that even after their head's been cut off, several hours later, they still have the reflex to be able to bite and even inject a fatal dose of venom into somebody. Several stories of that, even hours after they're having their head cut off. So here we find that Satan has been decapitated, not only crushed, but destroyed, but he is still capable of biting and inflicting damage in our lives if we depend upon our own defenses. So we have to make sure that we don't stay, that we stay far away from him. That we are aware and beware of the dark currents that seek to pull us away. So you know what? This scripture, Paul's just been encouraging us here. It's not flashy or anything. It's just really basic stuff to receive Christ, depend only on Christ, to identify with Christ, make sure that you know whose you are, and to rejoice in Christ. Because we're in the middle. We're in the waiting period where Satan still has some venom in him, some, still some abilities we have to recognize. But we're waiting now for Christ to return and destroy the snake forever because the Bible says at the end that Satan and all of his minions will be cast into the lake of fire. And that will be the last that we will see or hear from them. But meanwhile, beware, be cautious. And make sure that you're on the winning team, that you're in the victory procession and that Christ is leading every aspect of your life. And if you had to admit, you know, I'm not there then I would love to have a conversation with you about it. I'm going to be off over to the side. Tony will be over here. And if you want to talk to us just about what's going on in your world, maybe you're, you're experiencing a lot of battle and spiritual warfare in your life right now where these darkness is closing in, let us pray for you. Lots of people in this room would love to just spend time praying for you and encouraging you and connecting and investing in you if that's where your need is right now. But right now, we're going to also go to a great time of communion where it's a reminder of the victory that we have in Christ. You know, this is not just something we do on a, as a habit. This is something that has great significance. And if you're here and you're a believer, we invite you to come and join us in that. It's a chance for us to, to celebrate the victory with Jesus and to acknowledge what it costs for us to be free. These emblems that we're about to take, the bread and the cup, remind us of the body and blood of Jesus, the cost of our freedom, what it cost to win the victory Jesus paid for us so that we didn't have to try to pay it for ourselves because we could never do so. 
And if you're a child of God, we invite you to come up and take these and do it uh, not, as a, not as a tradition because we can even get distracted on that, but do it instead as a, a reminder of the love of Christ for you as he calls you to himself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that, that the victory is yours. God, just hearing the Apostle Paul who was suffering and struggling, but he could find victory and, and hope and excitement and joy even in prison. God reminds us that we have so much, that God, we, we have so much that we're so vulnerable to losing it and giving it away and taking it for granted. But Lord, I pray that now as we come together in this time of communion, it would be a, a time of encouragement and God, a time of, of celebration. Not that our Savior had to suffer, but, but that he would suffer for us. That God, we can have the redemption and hope and the promises that we experience today because of Christ. And so Lord, would you uh, bless this communion meal and this service, Lord, the emblems and symbols as we participate. And Lord, that we might find strength in them and hope and encouragement. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.